Hebrews chapter number 6, if you have your Bible, I'm going to begin in verse number 13, Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 13, and as you are, would you kindly remain standing in honor of God's word. The Bible says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. How many of you know there's this little four-letter word between when you believe and you receive called time? T-I-M-E, one of the most bothersome words if you're believing God for something, right? But after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise, for men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. In other words, if we're arguing about something, and we sign a contract, and we make a covenant, and we make an oath, we rest. Then it says, thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor for the soul both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Today in our series, Alternate Universe, I want to talk to you about the subject, the hope anchor. The hope anchor. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, speak powerfully, profoundly to every single heart. Father, truly help us to be transformed and encouraged and more like Jesus. In his name we pray. And everybody said, God bless you. You may be seated. It is almost a broken record to say that these are turbulent and troubling times where uncertainty is still swirling all around us. COVID cases, as we have read, are skyrocketing, although death rates are drastically down And let me remind you of one scientific statistic. And I understand that this isn't consolation to people who have experienced loss. But you have at least a 99.5% chance of recovering if you get COVID. Shutdowns on lockdowns loom on the horizon. New York City's public schools, the largest in the nations, are back to remote Learning, despite the science, by the way, that says that schools are the safest place for our kids to be right now. And that's not partisan news and science. That's accurate news and science. Cities like Chicago have completely shut down. Other cities have rolled back to prior phases. Thanksgiving has been limited to 10 people. Be sure not to talk loudly or laugh too hard. And funerals have been limited to 30, which have led some people to say that they are having a funeral for their pet turkey on Thanksgiving so they can have more family and friends. And then there is the election. Our nation's political upheaval and the divide which is causing people to literally lose their mind. All of this uncertainty has caused a myriad of maladies to come to the forefront of our human 
existence. Many are mired in anxiety and anger and worry and depression and civil unrest and discord and moral wanderings and attempts to redefine right from wrong, just to name a few, and all of which have made our world look like this alternate universe and caused many to feel like a ship caught in a tempest, not having any control over where they may end up. May I suggest that the reason for these maladies is that we have hitched our hope to the wrong thing, to the wrong things, to temporal things that are here today and gone tomorrow, temporal things which change from one day to the next and one generation to the next and one election to the next. People all around are in search of an anchor that they can hitch their hope to. And today I want to talk to you about that anchor and about hitching our hope to the only anchor that holds in any and every circumstance, and that is the hope that is heralded in our text for today. Hope, by the way, what a amazing word, isn't it? Hope is, it's a refreshing word. It's, it has a, it has a pleasant ring to it. Just, just the word hope alone just inspires us to believe that there is light at the end of the tunnel, that there are better things ahead, that things will turn around, that the worst is behind and the best is yet to come. To believe that your marriage has a chance or that there might be a cure for your illness or that there's a better job on the horizon that your marriage can come back. To believe that tough times are just temporary and and that they're going to pass. We all need this thing called hope. We shared about it last week a little bit. We falsely believe the lie that where there's life, there's hope. The truth of the matter is that where there is hope, there is life. Without hope, we give up. Without hope, we stop fighting. Without hope, we we don't believe that things will ever change. I read about this self-made millionaire. Eugene Land, and he was asked and invited to go speak to a group of sixth graders in East Harlem at a school, and he was told prior to going there, these 59 sixth graders, most of which will drop out of school um, before they graduate. And so he was asked to speak, and if you've ever spoken to kids, kids are aware. If you can speak to kids, you can speak to anybody. I was a youth pastor before I was a senior pastor, and that's, that's where I learned how to speak to people because you got to keep kids' attention. Kids will, kids will let you know they're bored. They'll actually start, you know, wandering off like this. They'll get their phone out and start playing games on their phone and stuff like that. Anyway, he was, he was nervous about speaking to these kids, and so he copiously prepared his notes, and he's thinking, i, I got to say something that is going to inspire inspire these kids and and then finally when he got there he scrapped the notes and he spoke from his heart and he said he said stay in school they had heard that so many times before they were tuning tuning them out but then he followed up with and i'll pay for every one of your college tuitions suddenly there was hope in the room Suddenly those kids who who never thought they'd be able to go to college, never thought they'd have the money to go to college, all of a sudden were inspired in this group of kids, 59 sixth graders, most of which would have dropped out before they actually graduated high school. Suddenly 90% of them graduated and went on to college. One of these kids said, I had something to look forward to. 
there was something better in my future. Hope changes everything. Where there's hope, there's life. And as we come to our text, we enter a story about a journey toward real, genuine, lasting hope. It is a story about the father of our faith. His name is Abraham. And Hebrews chapter number six gives us the cliff notes on the story. But as we delve into the details, we find out three important things about having hope in times where it seems like we are living in an alternate universe and many are looking for an anchor to latch on to. The first thing, if you're going to latch on to the hope anchor, you have to realize that anyone can regain hope. Abraham is described in Romans chapter 4 as an unwavering hoper. Listen to what it says. Even when there was no reason to hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. Even when there was no reason to hope, Ever been there before? Ever prayed that your marriage would get better and it wound up in divorce? Ever prayed for wellness and got sicker? Ever prayed for provision and lost your job? Ever encountered a situation where there was no reason to hope? I got good news for you. If that's you, you are in elite spiritual company because Abraham wasn't always an endless, unending hoper. There was a time when we look deeper into Abraham's story that Abraham lived a life that he felt there was no hope for. Romans chapter 4 verse 17 talks about it. It says, we call Abraham father, not because he got, got God's attention by living like a saint, don't get it twisted. God doesn't look at us and go, oh, yeah, that's somebody living good right there. And I'm going to pick that person right there. God, God doesn't pick us because of our goodness. God picks us despite ourselves because of his goodness. And so it says we call Abraham father, not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. I love that. That's, that's kind of like all of our testimonies. There was a time when Abraham was a nobody. And God is in the business of making somebody's out of nobodies. And the reason why Abraham was a nobody is because Abraham lived during an extended period of his life where he felt like there was no hope. And the reason was because God made him this big, giant promise. He appears to him and he says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And Abraham is so hyped about this promise. This is a huge promise. He's like, yes, but the promise had big problems all around it. Has God ever given you a promise in the middle of big problems? And the big problems have a way of, 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 of moving our faith off of the promise and getting us to focus on the problems. And the big problem that Abraham had when God gave him this promise was that he and Sarah were already old. Not only were they old, but they didn't have a child and they couldn't have children. Sarah was barren. There was a time when Abraham had no Hope, And God appears to Abraham in the midst of this uh, no hope situation. And he says to him, I'm going to give you this child in your old age. And in Genesis chapter number 15, the Bible says that God appears to Abraham in the middle of all this going on. And this was like a long time of them trying to have kids but not being able to have kids. And God appears to him and he says, the promise still stands. For 15 years after they got the initial promise, they tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and nothing was happening. And then God finally appears to him. Genesis 15, you can read about this. And he says, yeah, I want you to know the promise still stands. I don't know who 
maybe this would encourage. I know who's watching that this may encourage, but God wants you to know the promise still stands. So just because time has gone by doesn't mean that God has given up. God's time oftentimes is not our time. And God wants you to know that better days are ahead. The promise still stands. I remember years ago, I was in a really bad situation. I had given up on a certain situation. I said, that is never going to change. That's never going to happen. I mean, I was angry about it, and I was hurt about it, and so on and so forth. And I'm driving the car, and I remember exactly where I was. I was pulling up this, this great big hill that you have to go over to get to my house. And I'm pulling up the hill, and this brand new song comes on by Elevation Worship. And it was one of the choruses, it, The Promise Still Stands. And that hit me. Like a ton of bricks, and all of a sudden I started to cry, and I said, God, just when I gave up on that thing, what are you saying to me? And God said to me, I'm telling you, the promise still stands. Abraham is trying to have this kid with Sarah. He's old. They have this problem. She can't conceive. They're trying, trying, trying. They're hopeless. They don't believe it's going to happen. God appears to Abraham, and he says, the promise still stands. And Abraham isn't hearing it. He says, God... um, don't have a son. Sarah and I have been trying and trying and trying, and God, I'm losing hope. Think about his hope meter with me for just a minute. God appears to him, 75 years old, wanted a son his whole life. God says, I mean, if God appears to you, you think it's going to happen quick, right? Like if God shows up and just goes, just want to let you know you're having a son. I'm like, bam, when's the son showing up? I mean, God, God appeared to me like that. He's getting excited about it. His hope meter is really high. He runs home and he tells Sarah, he says, Sarah, guess what? Sarah, we're having a child. And Sarah is going, you just trying to get me to go in. I'm just playing anyway. Hope meter is high. Then what happens is they start doing what they got to do to make it happen. Hope meter is really peaking. And they're like, in 30 days from now, we are going to know for sure whether or not we are having this kid. 30 days comes around. She ain't pregnant. Hope meter just ticks down just a little bit. But it's just a temporary setback. And so they, they just keep trying and they try to try to. 30 days from now, we're going to know again. Third days comes by, nothing. Hope meter ticks down again. This goes on for 15 years. Can you imagine what happens at the end of 15 years? The hope meter flatlines. How many of you know when you try and try and try and nothing happens, suddenly your hope meter flatlines? And Abraham's just like you and I. And when the hope meter flatlines, what do we do? We take matters into our own hands. And so him and Sarah have this big talk, and Abraham's like, you know, it's not my fault. You know, I'm still good to go. But, but you can't have kids. And so I don't know, but maybe, maybe, maybe there's another way. Maybe we could. And Sarah comes up with this grandiose idea. She says, go sleep with my maidservant. Genesis chapter 16, verse two. Perhaps I could build a family through her. And, and, and everybody say, say this with me. Say stupid. Abraham agreed to what she said. Say it again with me. Say stupid. Abraham agreed to what she said. He is so hopeless that he actually takes his wife up on this idea to have a child with somebody else. Now, I'm guessing that this was more of a test that Sarah put Abraham 
up to than a legitimate offer. And the reason why I'm guessing that this was more of a test because I've been married long enough to know that women have their own special language. It is called code talk. And what they do is they just throw stuff out there, not because they want the answer to that thing, but they're looking for a very particular response to test and find out how much they really matter. And I'm betting that what Sarah was looking for from Abraham at this moment was, no way, sweetheart. How could I ever want to have a child with anybody else. But no, Abraham was stupid because hopelessness makes you stupid. And so what does he do? He agrees, and after he fails to, how much do you really love me test that his wife threw out him, that he wasn't experienced enough as a man to really know that was what was coming his way. All of a sudden, Sarah lets him know she wasn't really that serious because look what she says. Three verses later, you're responsible for the struggle that I'm going through. Abraham all of a sudden entered into an alternate universe. Wait, wait a second. You were the one who came up with that idea. Hopelessness makes you do stupid things. And this was his life for 15 years. 15 years of struggling and thinking that he would never, ever, ever have a child with his wife, Sarah. But after 15 years of this particular struggle, somewhere along the line, the hope meter, which had flatlined, all of a sudden, it got a little life again. Because the Bible tells us who against hope believed in hope. Somewhere along the line, Abraham got his hope back. And here's the first thing that we have to realize, especially during times when we are looking for things to anchor our hope to. We have to realize that it's never too late to get your hope back. You get your hope back again after great loss. You can get your hope back again after moral failure. You can get your hope back again after betrayal. You can get your hope back again after financial setback. You can get your hope back again after devastating news. You can get your hope back again. And I want to encourage you, especially those of you that are feeling down right now, I want to encourage you that as waves of hopelessness are coming over you, I want to prophesy over your life that waves of God's goodness are going to overshadow the waves of hopelessness that are coming your way. You can get your hope back. Number two, in order for you to tap into the hope anchor, you need to have the right focus. What was Abraham, what was the cause of Abraham's hopelessness? It was his focus. He was focusing on what he didn't have, what he really wanted, what he saw happening, what he felt would never happen. In short, Abraham was focusing on the, on his problem and it produced hopelessness in his life. The same way when we focus on our problems that are or our problems that were, we lose hope. Another way of saying it is when we focus on the problems of the present or the problems of the past, we lose hope in the future. We've all heard it said, you can't drive forward without getting into a crash while you're looking in your rear view mirror. Hope has to have a future focused. In our text, notice the emphasis on the future focus. God said in blessing, 
I will, future focus, bless you. In multiplying, I will, future focus, multiply you. Abraham was talking to God about what is. God was talking to him about what was to come. Abraham was focused on what has happened. God was trying to shift his focus on what is going to happen. Abraham was like, God, no, I don't have any children right now. God's like, I'll, I will bless you. Abraham was like, God, Sarah and I have tried and tried and tried and nothing. God's like, I will bless you. Abraham was like, God, I've created this mess now and I had a baby with my maid and my marriage is in, in shambles. God's like, I will bless you. You see, you cannot stay stuck on present or past problems. Because when you do, you rob yourself of future hope. Now, I realize having said that, there, there are some things that are more difficult to move on from. But the fact of the matter is, if we're going to get a hope anchor in an alternate universe, we have to be future focused. There was a famous man, you may have heard of him before, his name was the Apostle Paul. This man had experienced so many past and present problems, shipwrecked, beaten, left for dead, hungry, broke, forgotten, forsaken, so much that he said we are surrounded by trouble on every side. But this same guy said this, Philippians chapter 3, verse number 13, I do not count myself to apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I press to those things which are ahead. When he said forgetting, he doesn't mean wipe his memory from those things. Because how many of you know there are some things in life that you just will never forget? Some things that will will stick with you. But the word forgetting here literally refers to a focus on those things. Sometimes you need to shift your focus. Most times you need to shift your focus. You can't stay stuck on what has happened, what is happening. If you're going to get a hope anchor, you need to have a future Focus. What are you looking ahead to? Not what is happening now, but what is God going to do in your tomorrow to Job who lost everything? Wealth, family, kids, house, health. God said this, though your beginning was small, your latter will increase abundantly. To Israel who had lost their way in worship, God said, the glory of this latter temple will be greater than the glory of the former temple. Even our Savior who had every opportunity to lose hope because of the people who crucified him said for the joy, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2, for the joy set before him endured the cross. Future focus. The greatest promise about the future or the most well-known promise about the future in the Bible is Jeremiah 29, verse number 11. For I know the plans I have for you. And I love it. I always point this out. It doesn't say plan I have for you. It says plans. The reason is because if one plan doesn't work out and all God has is one plan, then you have no hope. But God, God, God has prearranged your mess-ups. And I don't mean cause you to mess up. I, I should say God has, has factored in, would be a better way of saying, our mess-ups. And so what God does is when we blow up one plan, God says, I got more plans because I really want you to always have hope. I have plans for you, declares the Lord. Look at this. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Hope and future. Hope is always future-focused. Abraham, I will, future focus, bless you. I just really feel like I need to say this again, even though I've said it like 30,000 times already. Don't get stuck on what has happened, what is happening. Look forward. What does God have for you? And if you know, Jesus did this often. 
Disciples would come to him, who sinned that this man was born this way? Jesus was like, you're asking the wrong question. Look instead to what God can do. You want to analyze this? What I'm trying to do is get you to look at what's going to happen. Get your eyes off of this. Get your eyes on that. Get your eyes on the prize. Get your eyes to the better things. Get your eyes to the better tomorrow. Get your eyes off of the bad news. Get your eyes on the good news. Get a future focus. That's how you anchor yourself to hope. But number three and lastly, Hope is only as good as what it is anchored to. See, I know hope can be a scary thing. There are some people who would rather not hope. And they would rather not hope because they don't want to be disappointed. And there's certain things, natural hope can disappoint. You put your hope in a certain job promotion, you don't get it. You put your hope in the marriage of your dreams, it falls apart. You put your hope in what the doctors can do for you, and they tell you they can't do anything for you. You put your hope in a promise of a friend or an acquaintance that never comes through. You put your hope in a business deal that never materializes. You put your hopes in the Giants winning the NFC East, and they don't. Right? Hope can disappoint. And I think all of us have had our hopes shattered one time or another in our lives. Matter of fact, nowadays there is even scientific studies that are being done and there's much controversy in, in this field over whether it is better to be an optimist or a pessimist. And it was a landmark scientific study that was done that actually tried to measure this. And they put these people who didn't know each other in a room, optimists and pessimists, and they asked them to rate two things. First, rate how much they liked the people in the room. And so they would say, you know, this person John liked, this person Sally disliked. And then what they had to do is they had to rate how much they thought people liked them. And then he separated the results, optimists and pessimists. And they found that almost always the optimists overrated how people in the room liked them. Most of the times they said that people liked them who really didn't like them very much. But they found like the pessimists were much greater perceivers of reality, that they got it right most of the times when people either liked them or didn't like them. And this gave rise to this great debate in the field, which is better to be realistic and sad or deluded and happy. I know, I'm a deluded and happy guy. Ignorance is sometimes bliss, depending upon what it's about. And I've told this, this story before, but it's like these, these two parents, they had these kids, one was an optimist, one was a pessimist. And um, the dad was concerned because, I mean, they were really like one extreme or the other. There was no balance. It was Christmas time. The dad said, we got to fix this. And so the dad loaded up the, the pessimist room with all sorts of Christmas gifts and opened up the, the optimist kid room with horse manure. Sent them to their rooms. Two hours later, uh, called the kids down, and the, the pessimist comes down, and, and the dad's like, did you, did you open all your presents? He's like, no. Dad's like, why not? He's like, I, I knew I would break them if I opened them, so I just left them in there. And the optimist kid, I mean, he's smiling, covered in horse manure, you know, from head to toe, and the dad's like, why are you smiling? He said, Dad, I saw that horse manure. I started digging, looking for a pony. I knew you bought me a horse. Is it better to be an optimist or a pessimist? The point is that natural hope can disappoint. We all all had disappointments in life. Well, I think it's time we find a different hope to anchor ourselves to. 
Instead of hope in temporal things. Where do we find such a hope? Romans chapter 15 verse 13 says, Now the God of hope, the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Can I just tell you this? That one of the works of the Holy Ghost is that you should be full of hope. If you're not full of hope, it probably means that you're cut off in your relationship. Not because God cut you off, but because you cut yourself off from the power of the Holy Ghost. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Listen to the Amplified. It says, Moreover, let us also be full of joy now. Let us exalt and triumph in our troubles and rejoice in our sufferings. How many does that? Trials. And this is a good time to be joyful because a lot of trials and sufferings going on. Anybody going, yeah, baby. Got this one, right? Pastor, what did you drink? I had some espresso before. Knowing that pressure and affliction and hardship produce patient and unswervering endurance and endurance fortitude. It develops maturity of character, approves faith and tried integrity and character of this sort produces the habit of joyful and confident hope of our eternal salvation. Such hope never disappoints or deludes or shames us. For God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we read these two scriptures, we find the answer to where can we find a hope that never disappoints? What kind of hope can we anchor ourselves to? That is the God of hope. You see, there is a hope that the world and sometimes we as Christians buy into. It's a hope that is based on wishful thinking and blind optimism and wild-eyed fantasies. A hope that is based on natural things or people or political parties or circumstances. And that hope will always disappoint you. The reason why the world is struggling right now is because we've got our hope in the wrong thing. But the God of hope wants to give you and I a supernatural hope, a hope that never disappoints, never deludes or shames us. That hope is tied to our eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. And this is really the point of the story of Abraham. God says, Abraham, you've anchored your hope to a child that you want to have. Maybe if God were talking to you, he'd say, you've anchored your hope to a marriage that you have or want to have. Maybe God would say, you've, you've anchored your hope to a career that you want to have. You've anchored your hope to a 401k statement. You, you've anchored your hope to this or that. And along comes God and he says, none of these things is strong enough to hold you during hard times. He says to Abraham, Abraham, there's something stronger. The hope that you are looking for is not in the child you seek, but it isn't a child that will be laid in a stable. And yes, that child will come through you. You will be a father, Abraham, but not the kind of father that you think you'll be. You are going to be the father of the faith because the savior of the world It's going to come through you. Abraham, there is something stronger for you to anchor your hope through, to, hope to. to. Something that is so strong that I'm going to swear by myself. Abraham, I'm going to put you to sleep. Read the story. God is ready to covenant with Abraham. And he says, you know what? I can't have you screw this one up. And so God, listen to me, and I have time to teach on this, suspends the will of Abraham. 
There's really only one time in Scripture where God suspends the will of mankind, and that's in the coming of the Savior because God cannot allow for man to be involved in that. So what does God do? God becomes a man so he could swear by himself. And so he puts Abraham, was good preaching right there, he puts Abraham to sleep, and the Bible says that the greater light and the lesser light pass through the sacrificial offerings. That was God the Father and God the Son cutting a covenant with themselves. This was such a strong thing to anchor their hope to. Abraham, there's an anchor that holds in every storm. Abraham, the anchor that I'm referring to is not just for your circumstance, it's for your soul. Abraham, an anchor that will help you stand when life knocks you to your knees. Abraham, an anchor that goes beyond this life and lasts for all of eternity. Abraham, there is an anchor that stabilizes you when everything else is shaken. Hebrews 6 says, this hope we have as an anchor for our soul. What's the hope? The hope of Jesus Christ. The hope of salvation in Christ. The anchor that holds in any alternate universe. The anchor that keeps you when you should be losing your mind. There's an old song. It's real old. By a guy by the name of Ray Boltz. And most of you probably don't even know who Ray Boltz is. But here's how the song goes. <clears throat> no, I'm not going to say. <laughs> he said, I have journeyed through the long dark night. Out on the open sea by faith alone, sight unknown, and yet his eyes were watching me. The anchor holds, though the ship is battered. The anchor holds, though the sails are torn. I have fallen on my knees as I face the raging seas. The anchor holds despite the storm. I've had visions, I've had dreams, and I've even held them in my hand, but I never knew when they would slip right through like they were only grains of sand. The anchor holds through the, though the ship is battered. The anchor holds though the sails are torn. I have fallen on my knees as I face the raging seas. The anchor holds in spite of the storm. I've been young, but now I'm older. And there has been beauty these eyes have seen. But it was in the night through the storms of life. Oh, that's where God proved his love for me. The anchor holds though the ship's been battered. The anchor holds though the sails are torn. I have fallen on my knees. As I face the raging seas, the anchor holds despite the storm. I read, and I want to close with this, of a, li- a real-life story that captures the strength of anchoring our hope to Christ. And I want to close with it. As Vice President George Bush represented the U.S. at the funeral of Soviet leader Leonard Brezhnev, Brezhnev's time as the general secretary of the Communist Party, which is akin to being the leader of the nation, was second only to Joseph Stalin's duration. And Bush was deeply moved by a silent protest by Brezhnev's wife. She stood motionless at the coffin of her husband until seconds before it was closed. Then just as the soldiers attempted to touch the lid, Brezhnev's wife performed an act of great courage, hope, and a gesture gesture that in those times surely went down as one of the most profound acts of civil disobedience ever committed. She reached down and she made the sign of the cross on her husband's chest. This was in the citadel of secular atheistic power 
where the wife of a man who had run it all hoped that her husband was wrong. She hoped that there was another life and that that life was best represented by Jesus who died on the cross and that that same Jesus might have had mercy on her husband. What an anchor, the hope anchor. My question for you is, is that what your hope is anchored to? Or is your hope anchored to something temporal? Because if it is, you'll be just moved all over the place. But when your hope is anchored to Jesus Christ, you will stand fast in every single storm. Would you stand with me? Maybe you're here today and you haven't anchored your hope to Jesus Christ. Maybe you haven't hitched your hope to the one thing that does not move. is the same yesterday, today, and forever. To the one person who you can count on time and time and time again. Today he stands at the door of your heart knocking asking you to invite him in. And his question for you is, do you know that when you leave this earth, you'll spend eternity with God in heaven forever and ever and ever? If you don't, you don't really have the anchor that you need. And today God comes through a person, flawed as I may be, inviting you to give your life to Christ. With every head bowed, every eye closed, If that's you, if you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, today you need to. Because this world is crazy. But Jesus Christ is Lord. If you're here today, if you're watching at home and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you need to. God wants to give you an anchor, a future filled with hope. If that's you right where you are, if you're home, I want you to do something just as a surrender to Christ. Even there in your home, just... Hold your hands up to God. Heavenly Father, today, say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, today, I give you my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins as I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I will never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, if you're here and you flag down an usher, they'll give you a book. If you're at home or watching somewhere else, um, type the word Jesus in the chat um, and we'll reach out to you or click the button. I gave my life to Jesus, the greatest hope of all.